Clara. Clara, Clara. This is my buddy. You guys. I, I, we do the hug thing, but it's our, this is, when we get red alert, it's kind of like when uh, I was in a place of warmer climbs recently, and they have all the different flags for surfing conditions, and red is there's a big riptide and you shouldn't surf. In my life, when it comes to things that require coordination, I should just wear like little red uh, toothpicks with red flags in, on glasses in front of my eyes. Oh, and also... It's not on mute. It's on. All right. Hey, this, this happens periodically. We're all good. The batteries look good, friends. But, see, if it were working, this would be very awful sound. Yep. Uh, oh, use the handheld. Okay. You know, sometimes, sometimes the answer is just so obvious. It's like, I feel like a derp. Well, recently I was in a place of warmer climbs and uh, spent some time watching people surf. Um, had some, a dear friend of mine encouraging me, wanting to give me surf lessons. And I'm like, dude, I still need walking lessons. But they have the red, the red flags is usually means like uh, the water is too dangerous to surf in. And that's the most fun time to watch people surfing because they don't stay on the board very long. And I, maybe I just take some pleasure in realizing you're not coordinated either. No, but uh, I, red, red flags. I said red flag for a reason. I don't even, don't even remember because that sound issue. Um, oh, yeah, and I, I just need red flags in general for life because... Uh, but in that, uh, I wanted to actually highlight a couple of the announcements again because these uh, announcements are both answers to deep prayers of my heart, and I know prayers of many of your hearts. And uh, this poverty simulation is a simulation that uh, officers in training, you know, cops in training, you know, the newbies for the Columbus police are going through this simulation. And I've been through this simulation, and I've volunteered for this simulation, and I've been through a lot of simulations. And the th problem with simulations is the stakes are high in real life, and a simulation can't quite show you how high the stakes are. I did survivalist training, not because I'm looking to join a militia. It's because I love nature. All right, so half the people in this survival training were nature lovers, and the other half were like, uh-oh, got to get ready for the zombie apocalypse. Well, anyway, one thing they did is everything was timed. Like, you had to make a fire and boil two quarts of water from flint and steel within 15 minutes. You had to strike the tinder and get it going and start a fire and have had boiled two quarts of water. Well, in a survival situation, you don't need 15 minutes. You, you can take your time. But they're trying to put it in a life or death stress because when we're crunched for time, it activates your amygdala, which means you're not functioning to your full capabilities. So you have to run somewhat on autopilot. And what the poverty simulation does is it creates scenarios where it's like a, role, a live action role playing game 
where you enter this simulation and you start to feel the desperation of poverty and realizing I have this many resources and this many uh, obligations that are running after me. And when I did this simulation, I literally got so lost in the story that I ran from the people who were the police in the simulation and jumped over a table at the Mid-Ohio Food Bank where it was being hosted. And I guess that was a first. But this answer to prayer here is like, if you volunteer here, you can be a shareholder in a new element of equipping our law enforcement officers with having empathy for the people that they're commissioned to serve and protect. And if you've been watched the news in the past uh, ever, um, but it's particularly recently since, because the advent of cameras and f camera phones and uh, officers wearing cameras, it's entered into popular understanding where there are maybe systemic lack of empathy issues. And I love this. This is lighting a candle, or as uh, uh, Bruce Coburn would say, kicking the darkness till it bleeds daylight. And I want to encourage you guys to volunteer for this simulation and be a part of the change. Um, this is far more helpful than internet outrage and Facebook profile pictures and everything, and all those things are good and dandy. But I just want to encourage you, and we're going to be running this simulation for our church and inviting other churches and groups, and this is something you can bring a friend, where we will go through a poverty simulation because I believe when we invite the Holy Spirit into the process of growing our empathy, we become more like the bleeding heart of Jesus. And I'm telling you, it's a painful place to be and a beautiful place to be. And the second is um, this emotionally focused retreat, which is about focusing emotions, not just we only focus on emotions, but having focused emotions, having, uh, inviting God to work a process of healing in our hearts where we learn self-regulation and what does it mean to bring the story of Jesus and help it enter our lives in such a way that our autopilot is... Jesus-y. And this is something, this leads into some online coaching and other opportunities. And I will tell you, and I've been saying this for years, this is the best thing I ever did for my marriage and parenting and existence. And it's something I dreamed of and prayed. We didn't start the fire. Maybe we can bring the sound down on the uh, live cast for a second. And another answer to prayer is that our alarm system works really well at this church and it actually will be triggered too easily, not too late. So I just want to thank you guys for helping us to outfit this church with these safety features. And uh, God bless the young child who really thought the red box was neato keen to pull. Uh, I love our kids. Well, anyway, um, this emotionally focused is the idea of bringing 
are the focus of how we live and respond when we're under stress on autopilot in congruence with the story of Jesus. And I said, this is one of the best things I've done, and I'm actually a, a 200 and 300 coach in this process. And what I love about doing it is many churches do it together because an important thing about coaching through relationships is, um, let's say um, Gabe and I are having a conflict, and then I go to Evelyn and say, Evelyn, I'm really struggling with your brother. He's really bugging me, you know, this 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 idea that he's, he's always, you know, harassing my dog. What should we do? Well, I'm gossiping about Gabe. I'm talking to his sister, and that forms a triangle. When really, the only triangle we are supposed to have is we're connected to the Trinity. But what happens when you get coached from someone outside of a family system is they don't know who you're talking about. They don't know what's going on. Their only pony in the race is connecting you towards Jesus and springboarding off Jesus into that relational conflict. And so this is something that multiple churches do together so it doesn't become this systemic gossip system. And it's helped me so much. I've been in groups with people in Italy and other things. It's just, it's pretty fantastic. Well, anyway, I wanted to say that. So that emotionally focused retreat uh, uh, equals about five years of therapy. <laughs> so, and a lot cheaper. No, I'm not against therapy, by the way. I'm a big fan. Um, so we're going through the uh, genealogy of Jesus, and we're focusing on a woman named Rahab today who gets a few mentions in the Bible. So what I want to do is I want to read the first two lists she appears in, but I want to read them. Uh, yeah, so I want to read the lists that Rahab is in, talk a little bit about Rahab, and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us through Rahab's story. And I want to, I, we have a really small group today. Uh, this is kind of like a very large home group today because we're, uh, oh yeah, COVID, red flag, COVID time. But um, I believe, at least I, I have this inclination to believe that God really wants to speak today, specifically give people words of encouragement that might even sound weird, but are desperately needed to be heard by someone else in the congregation. So we're going to take a time of silence to listen to God. And uh, it may get a little messy, but we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But uh, if, any, if anyone has a word of encouragement, and if you're joining us on our live stream, we do have live commentary where you can share what the Lord gives you there too. So I want to start with Matthew, and we're just going to read the first six verses of the genealogy. And this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon. It's Salmon. I don't know if it's said Salmon like the fish or Salmon like it's spelled. Salmon was the father of Boaz, which is my favorite name in the Old Testament. I'm just saying. And Boaz is going to be visiting with us next week, actually. Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and the father of King David. So maybe this little micro-series on the women in the story could be called Jesus' Grandmas. 
The Adventures of Jesus' Grandmas. And uh, Hebrews then refers to uh, Rahab as a, the climax of a chapter in a sort. There's a chapter 11 that talks about people who were loyal to God, who were faithful to God. And this, isn't, this chapter isn't about these people being ethical or moral paragons of virtue. In fact, there's some people who've done some pretty slimy stuff in this list. But faithfulness wasn't about having it all together. Faithfulness may even be that you just trusted God in one area of your life. And based on that trust, we're loyal to God. Like, if you got it right one time and it was really awesome, then you can make it on this list even if you did some terrible things. But it's interesting when people think of the heroes of the children of Israel, this nation. In this list, um, we have Abel, Cain, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, who was like the central figure, and then Rahab. You know who was the most popular uh, prophet, two most popular prophets during the time of Jesus? It would have been Elijah and Daniel, all right? Elijah and Daniel would have been the two most popular, and uh, they don't even get much of a mention here. Let me read what it says in uh, Hebrews. It says, by faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. What more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David, Samuel, and the prophets. Whoa, let me just tell you. So the author of Hebrews, which Hebrews was to bring clarity to how the story of Jesus sprung forth from the story of Israel, says, he literally has a, I don't have time to go into this, all right, guys? Not that there isn't cool things to say, but realize the most popular authors of that day. And another thing is uh, the book of Ruth and uh, Joshua chapter 2, the story of Rahab, they take place during what we call like the time of the judges or the conflict narratives. And these conflict narratives are really difficult for us to parse as people of faith because also in Hebrews it says Jesus is the crystal clarity shining revelation of who God is. And then in the conflict narratives, we have this weird paradox that occurs. And it's that God says, calls Israel and says, I will drive out the nations before you. Meaning, I'm going to clean house, and you're going to have this land. And we have one example of that happening when the Arameans were setting siege and trying to starve uh, the folks in Jerusalem to death. And God sent this terrifying noise. And this terrifying noise exploded out there. Everyone fled the camp, fled the camps, fleed. They fled the camps, and um, then some lepers found out, hey, this is a ghost town here. There's lots of food. Party on. Let's invite everyone else. And so we get an example of what it looks like if God drives a people out. And we get a hint in this story that God gave a similar opportunity to the people of Jericho to be driven out. But we have... Going back to Genesis, the story of Adam and Eve, we have a reoccurring theme of God says one thing 
and it gets quoted as saying another. God says, don't eat this fruit. Eve says, God said, don't touch it or we will die. It's like, well, it's pretty obvious that you're misquoting God because we, it's a short little story. And that gives us a, a paradigm of understanding that there is discernment called for in the Holy Spirit community when we read the Old Testament. And, and that is no more necessary than when we look at the conflict narratives. And I've been wrestling with these stories for years. But what interests me is the, her the heroic judges in these conflict narratives, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, they just get grouped together like almost as an aside. And Rahab the prostitute is made the hero. And what I love about this story is Rahab's past as a prostitute wasn't addressed, erased. It wasn't that she became a faithful person in Israel and grandma to Jesus, great-grandma to Jesus, but her past was recorded for us, her past vocation. And what that says is that our shame what we've been ashamed of, those things don't necessarily leave our story, but the shame is kicked to the corner. And this is the opportunity, like we've seen so many horrifying examples of where people in the name of Jesus have covered up the past of even bad perpetrators. I'm not talking about people that were just involved in scandal, but perpetrators of injustice have been covered up for in order under the idea of preserving the witness of the church and i will tell you that like man the bible is the book that tells us where the bodies are buried not the book that covers up the sins of people in order to have more carefully strategically sculpted propaganda and i love that rahab is held above all the judges even deborah you know, out of the judges, like the best of the judges of Israel, which I could go on this for hours, was a woman. And then when they, Israel rebels and wants to live the pagan lifestyle of having earthly kings, there's no women who get to be king. But we do get uh, Deborah being the best of God's system of ruling. And out of, but out of this, Rahab's the most important. So I want to read the... Uh, rather long story of Rahab here in its entirety, and uh, I might make some interstitial comments here. But the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy on the land. Oh, I skipped forward too far. Joshua 2.1. Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. I guess as you do, as spies. Um, which is actually true. The first thing is, Israel was known unique among all the nations is prostitution bad. They still had prostitution, but the people who would have been called to be spies would have been the creme de la creme. And actually, according to Jewish tradition, one of the spies was Caleb, who'd done this before, who was like a seasoned MI5 agent or whatever, or six. And then you have another guy named Pincus, which maybe that's why they didn't 
give the names of the spies. I, I think they didn't give the names of the spies in this narrative because they didn't want to distract from the name of Rahab. All right, so they have tradition of who those spies were. But anyway, if anyone who's studied military intelligence or the history and, the, you know, or even the rather dark history of the CIA, um, you know, mo one of the bit largest sources of military intelligence is gathered through, the pra through prostitution. And basically that people get very boastful when uh, they're with, when, in these kind of more patriarchal power structures, you have men, oftentimes men who are charged with the uh, military or the a covert campaign to destabilize another government, are also the group of people that frequent prostitutes on a regular basis and who participate in human trafficking. So, and when those people get drunk and are becoming sexually active, they have loose lips. So, as has been going back several thousand years is, if you wanna know what's going on in the city, you go to the seediest area of that city. And these guys went to stay with Rahab the prostitute. Now, the other thing interesting is they probably thought in their minds, no one's going to suspect a good faithful Jewish person, of which we are, of going here. But word got around. You know, it's hard, in a walled city, it's hard to keep a secret, I guess. So, but the woman had taken the two, the women, woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not where they had come, know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid on the roof. A um, little note there, because when you, you had to dry flax before you made it in, into either fabric or got the flax seed off it, so you would, if you put it, not on the roof, or if it's indoors, it would get moldy, and then you would have your allergies and everything activated. So on the roof, it would be like big bales of hay on top of the roof, kind of like that. And she hid them in there. And she tells them, hurry, go, go after them, you may catch them. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the ground that leads to the fords of Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. So before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear has fallen on all of us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt in what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, and our hearts melt in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you, for the Lord your God in heaven above, for the Lord your God is God of heaven above and earth below. And there's a 
some really interesting things in here. First of all, it, it seems that Rahab differentiates what you did versus what God did. She talks about God drying up the Red Sea and then you demolishing these kings. Somehow, at least in her opinion, she credited different things with different people. And she talks about waves of fear over the city. Now, I wonder if this is referring back to the city gates were closed, being closed. Were the gates closed to keep the frightened people in from fleeing the coming wrath or keep people out or both? Because it seems like there, if the whole place was melting with fear, an entire city says we don't stand a chance. It'd be one of those disaster movie things where the highways are clogged with everyone trying to escape the city, which we would see had happened with the Amorites in 2 Kings chapter 7. So this is just my wrestling with these stories. I don't, I'm speculating here, but I think this is a very fair speculation. So this uh, w woman, I mean, I... I was in a Bible class once, and the entire class was, was it wrong that Rahab lied? And, you know, the Bible says, do not bear false witness. Rahab was acting on autopilot, and it seems like her autopilot was, her reflexive action when faced with danger was this maternal she-bear protect the cubs type action. Like, she goes into hero mode, and she did lie, but that is an ingredient of a greater story where her motive was to protect God's people. And she put her own life at risk, and she must have been really good at working camouflage. It wasn't just these people holding up there. I mean, she must have, like, this wasn't her first rodeo, it seems, of, like, hiding someone, maybe from their spouse or something like that. But she hid them effectively to the point where soldiers could not find them. So this woman was smart. She was crafty. And her reflexive action, out of an understanding of the awesome might of Israel, her reflexive action was to protect these guys like the she-bear she was. Jesus' grandma. Um, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord, this is uh, Rahab, that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. Our lives, and then the men reply, our lives for your lives. The men assured her, if you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So she let them down by a rope to the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. And she said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not hide you, find you. Hide yourselves for three days until they return, and then go your way. Once again, not, let's linger a bit on the brilliance of this woman. Is she had been around the military establishment and aristocratic folks enough to know where to hide, how long to hide. She knew the procedures of the intelligence forces of this fortified city to where she gave them instructions on how to navigate around them. I mean, this woman was brilliant, and she was smart enough to suss out that 
we need to, I mean, she was one living a life of surrender from the first moment she met these spies. She, her heart was already declined to say, I surrender. I'm not going to be a part of a violent conflict. I surrender. And then she brought her intelligence to bear. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has given this whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. So, once again, they're articulating that their impression is the entire promised land promised to them. People were already melting in fear. And we saw how the Arameans responded to that fear in 2 Kings 7. So, a couple things. There's a lot of Jewish folklore about Rahab, who, who she married, who, when she was widowed, who she married again. And we know that the story, the author of the book of Matthew, and by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, ties her in to the greatest hits of the genealogy of Jesus. And you know how these ancient Near Eastern genealogies work. They're greatest hits compilations. You know, father, forefather. Uh, sometimes they, one generation directly follows another. Sometimes there may be six generations that have been skipped, right? The omissions are important because they show that the people who are included are of great importance. And of such great importance was Rahab that she was said. So my question is, what does Rahab have for us at Central Vineyard right now? What does God want to do with our hearts and the story of Rahab. I did point out that I said, God, our past is not erased, but as far as the shame goes, it's forgotten. In the shame category, our past has been reformatted and repaired. But in the history category, it's not freedom from shame if you have to pretend something didn't happen to not be ashamed. It's not freedom from shame to stuff our past. It's freedom from shame to have our past illuminated and we're still here. Isn't that brilliant? Each one of us have a shame story. Each one of us have a reason why we don't even feel like we should be here today. I uh, was just overwhelmed with this love for Rahab when I was reading this story. And I, it just struck me. It said, the Holy Spirit wants to, A, give us a revelation of his love for us. Like, the love he had to include Rahab in the story. And secondly, is Rahab, it, you know... <laughs> In the moral watchdogs of our culture, Rahab is the enemy to many. She maybe even was running a brothel. Um, we are trained in American religious Christendom, which is the farthest thing from Christianity. 
we are trained to have an enemy list or at least a loathsome list. And the stories of scripture challenge us to get rid of that list and have a hopeful list instead. And as I was, I'm gonna be careful how I share this. As I was meditating on this story and I, I was held a picture in my head, I, 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 I can't really give you the details, of this, but it was a person who's actually in no way associated with Central Vineyard or even in an ancillary fashion associated with Central Vineyard. But it was someone that I found loathsome based on certain behaviors and things they engaged in. It's someone that I did not feel one speck of affection for. And I literally said to the Lord, I said, Holy Spirit, do something with this story in my heart. And I like a, it was like a flash. I fell in love with this person. Not romantic love, but I literally fell in love. Like my, I had this shocking revelation of how precious this human being was to God, almost to the point of tears. And it's weird because it happened to Adrian at the exact like same moment that she had a revelation of God's love for this person. So we're talking about the crackling power of the Holy Spirit when we engage these stories. And sometimes that may seem like a non sequitur. But to me, the preciousness of, of Rahab, who would be on our marginalized list, God took that and said, and I believe this person's precious, and I'm going to have your heart see them in the same category and have a hope for them like you would have a hope for Rahab. So before we uh, share in the elements, I want to take... I want to invite the Holy Spirit and take two minutes and give you a revelation of preciousness of someone in your lives you may loathe. And by the way, I encourage you not to share with anyone if you have a Yeah, the Lord told me I loathed you. Now I love you. You can keep it to yourself. All right? Having had many people confess to me, you know, just when you know, I've been bitter with you. You know, it's like, oh, Jesus, thanks. Tell me. Tell your mom, <laughs> you know, but this, this idea, if you have a revelation like this, do, uh, do yourself a favor and just pray and say, God, may me not lose the sense of preciousness and maybe allow me to play into the story of this person where they can have a good ending to their story. But the other thing I want to ask is, God, just a general sense is I continually hear this word about just how precious Central Vineyard is. And this is not arcane. This isn't cryptic. It's just, you know, if you tune into the frequency of stuff God is always saying, you know, it's like you don't have to pray whether, God, give me discernment as to whether this person is precious to you. It's just like, duh. But there is a wavelength of connection to the Holy Spirit where our emotions become focused on the truth of someone's preciousness. And so um, if you, what I'm expecting God to do is maybe get a few of you words that may not, you may not tie with anyone's specific name, but you specifically speak out that encouragement and it's going to hit the bullseye of someone's heart and bring like a, a shot of healing. So Holy Spirit, Open the eyes of our heart. 
these sometimes confusing stories coupled with your Holy Spirit have power to change our lives, God. As we give you a few brief moments of silence, I pray you would open our heart and give us words of encouragement. And yeah, I think we have a good idea. If you have a word, you can just come sit, sit up on line on the stage and we'll uh, pass the mic a little. Does that sound cool? That will help us. Holy Spirit, come. As a preamble to one of the greatest stories of human suffering in the world, and that is the crucifixion of Jesus, he celebrated a Passover feast with his disciples, and he was holding court. The king was holding court before his coronation. He took the bread of Passover. Sometimes it's really hard to take the bread on these little communion deals. Maybe when you were showering today, maybe when you were just, you caught a glimpse of your body and you just felt a sense of shame. And uh, I just think God just wanted to address that, that if that was you today or maybe yesterday, but just, hey, I see you. I saw you looking at yourself that way with loathing. You're precious. Hey. It, is it okay if this is like a very short song? Okay. Uh, I'm going to actually sit on camera. Is that in the middle? Yeah, that's good. Okay. Thank you for being so cinematographically accommodating. Well. <laughs> I might want to. Oh, I don't want you to be uncomfortable. No, I'll take this off if you put yours on. So, um. 
My name is Kimberly, and uh, we are not yet formal members of this community, but we've been attending for one year. And uh, I have a mission statement song that's just two minutes, and I will sing it a cappella because it's called Find Us Faithful. And um, the, the whole Rahab story and the story of Ruth and um, are just about faithfulness and not doing it right, not getting it right. And um, my whole mission was always that when I'm gone, that I will have laid down a path that my children will see. And because I've been in youth and children's ministries all my life, that kids will see. So I'm just going to sing it. It's two verses with a chorus. It's called Find This Faithful. We're pilgrims on the journey of the narrow road. And those who've gone before us line the way. Cheering on the faithful, encouraging the weary, their lives a stirring testament to God's sustaining grace. Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race not only for the prize, but as those who've gone before us, let us leave to those behind us a heritage of faithfulness passed on through godly lives. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. After all, our hopes and dreams have come and gone. And our children sift through all we've left behind. May the clues that they discover and the memories they uncover become the light that leads them to the road we each must find. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful.
love you, brother. Oh, well, you don't, you don't know this. I've actually heard that song in 1994 hundreds and hundreds of times because my mom had me put it on a mixtape for her when she was dying of cancer. It was like when it was a 30-minute mixtape. I used to buy custom tapes for my mixtapes because short one, anyway. It was one of like the six songs she listened to over and over and over, and I've not heard it. I found, I found the mixtape in just like a week ago going through old family effects, and I haven't heard that song since 94, so I don't, that's just, wow. I mean, I, thank you for your courage. And I hope that was encouragement to you guys. Let's stand. And I would ask those, uh, our, our prayer folks, that, that was strange, wasn't it? And guess what? We got a zoning variance for strangeness here. So bring it on. Uh, I would encourage our prayer team. And if you need that encouragement, or if you want to appropriately share with someone don't give the details of who you're talking about, per se. But if you had a revelation of someone's preciousness, who you didn't before, I want to ask you to confess that to someone along the sides here and ask God to help pray that into some efficacious action. Lord bless you guys. You are so awesome.